Then Jesus arrived at the Jordan from Galilee and came to John to be baptized by him. John tried to stop him. I ought to be baptized by you, he said. And are you going to come to me? This is how it's going to be right now, said Jesus. This is the right way for us to complete God's whole saving plan. So so John consented and Jesus was baptized. All at once, as he came up out of the water, suddenly the heavens were opened and and saw God's spirit coming down like a dove and landing on him. Then a voice came out of the heavens. This is my son, my beloved one, the voice said. I am delighted with him. Then Jesus was led out into the wilderness by the spirit of the, and to be tested by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and at the end of it was famished. Then the tempter approached him. If you are God's son, he said, then tell these stones to become bread. The Bible says, replied Jesus, that it takes more than bread to keep you alive. You actually live on every word that comes out of God's mouth. Then the devil took him off to the holy city and stood him on the pinnacle of the temple. If you really are God's son, he said, throw yourself, throw yourself down. The Bible does say, after all, God will give his angels a command about you and they will carry you in their hands so that you, will not, so you won't hurt your foot against stone. But the Bible also says, Jesus replied, that you mustn't put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took him off again this time to a high mountain. There he showed him all the magnificent kingdoms of the world. I'll give the whole lot to you, he said, if you fall down and worship me. Get out of it, Satan, Jesus replied. The Bible says, worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Then the devil left him and the angels came and looked after him. Good morning. That was about as good as the early epic. Good morning. <laughs> That's better. Who is this man? This is our topic for the, the month of April, the three Sundays leading up to Easter. And today we're talking about Jesus as the reliable son. Next week it's the promised king and then uh, finally on Easter Sunday, the living God. I trust you, you'll just uh, be able to join with us on these Sundays and, and really enjoy this time together as we think about who Jesus really is. You know, my grandson's here today and uh, he doesn't come here very often and I didn't realise I was going to tell a story about him today, so he better not listen too hard. But when he was about um, two years old, he's four now, we, um, I took him along on one of my days off to uh, Jimbaroo. Now, some of you are probably familiar with Jimbaroo. I know some of you are very familiar with it, but there's a, little, a few exercises, a little games they play, a lot of um, activities they do. But there's also a theme for the day every week. They get a, a little word. And the word of the day that day was B, B double E, as in Buzzy B, you know. And I guess the idea was to learn throughout the day everything related to this B. B is for B which is a bit obvious, a bit like T is for T, but you know, probably confusing for little kids, but they had this picture of a bee anyway. Anyway, they play all the games and then they're sitting around, they're standing around in a big circle and just to reinforce this on all these little two-year-olds, the, the leader's got a picture of a buzzy bee and she goes around the circle and she, she holds it up and she says, B is for, and the little kid's got to respond, B. B is for B. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking... Oh, I hope my grandson's up to this, because a little bit of a little bit of pride at stake, isn't there? And uh, it got around, and he's looking a little bit distracted. And then she looks right at him, and she says, "Nathan, B is for." There's this massive pause, 
And I'm thinking to myself, son, don't let me down. Don't let me down. And I reckon, no, no joke, the pause must have been five, six, seven seconds. And she's patient. She's just holding this little picture of a bee there. And I think, son, say bee. And all of a sudden he just flips back like this and he says, B is for Benjamin. <laughs> Man, that's amazing because his dad's name's Benjamin. And so he knew that. Whereas all these other little kids, they were just saying B is for B. My grandson, my grandson knew that B is for Benjamin, among other things. So I was proud. He didn't let me down. I've got a son. He's getting old now. He's nearly 30. But fathers are actually delighted in reliable sons, aren't they? Um, And they cherish the relationship. And they want to affirm and encourage the qualities that they value in their boys. And I look around, I know a lot of you have got boys and I think you've got to identify with this. Our sons are special to us, our daughters are too, but we want to affirm the things that are valuable and good qualities they have. And there are times when our children excel themselves and it's great to go along and see them excel themselves. I can remember um, clearly one Saturday morning, my Jonathan, who was quite a good left-arm bowler, he got seven wickets in an innings at cricket. And man, I was proud that day. And he was also a good drummer and I was really proud of him as a drummer. But I think as our children grow... I think we delight more, not in those moments of high achievement, but in the sort of person they're becoming. Steady person, a a reliable person, a faithful person, a trustworthy person, a consistent person. I remember on my daughter's 21st birthday getting into trouble for describing her as a solid citizen in in my speech. And uh, for some reason that didn't go down well. But... Everybody knew what I meant, I think. She was reliable. She, I, she, she'd grown up to be someone who could be, could be trusted, who I was proud of. And so when I think about Jonathan, my son, I don't think about the cricketer or the drummer. Uh, I just think about the, the man he's becoming and I'm thankful for that and for the things that he's chosen to value in life. He's a dad now and he's a husband. And uh, to be able to see them as a father and, and enjoy watching those, they're good things. It's all about relationship, isn't it? And you know, in the, in the passage we've read this morning about Jesus being baptised, there's a sense in which we see God as proud Father. And uh, on the screen you'll see, uh, Tim, thanks, zip, zip through. The, uh, at, the, at the bottom of the, the passage there that Lucas read to us, it says, the voice of God comes from heaven after Jesus is baptised and the voice says, this is my son who I love, I'm delighted with him. Now, John the Baptist was uh, probably a formidable sight in his time. You've probably got an image of John the Baptist in your mind, dressed in uh, garments of camel's hair, and he ate locusts and wild honey, he wore a belt around his waist, and he was a desert man. But he was a, a remarkable man, and his, his message to people was, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he baptised people as a sign that they wanted to change their ways. They wanted to get back and ready for the coming of Messiah. But when Jesus appears, John is sort of taken aback. Here's John baptising all these people for repentance. And Jesus appears, the one who John's actually preparing for, and he says, I want to be baptised. And John thinks this is actually not right. This can't be. This isn't how it's meant to be. He thought he should be being baptised by Jesus. And yet Jesus, who doesn't actually need to repent of anything, 
wants to be baptised by John. He wants to be able to identify himself with people who needed to repent. And so God is there looking on as proud father. God's not angry that Jesus is wanting to be baptised. God sees what Jesus is on about. He sees that his very son wants to identify with the people who needed to repent. And God looks on, proud father, and the voice rings out from heaven. This is my son who I love. I'm pleased with him. Next slide, thanks, Tim. It's interesting when you look at uh, just those simple words that they, for a, for a, a person in Jesus' time who had a, a Jewish background listening to them, they probably brought a lot of things to their mind. And here's just some of the things that might have come to their mind. In Genesis 22, there's that story of God asking Abraham to go and offer his son, his only son, Isaac, as an offering. Your son, who you love. And Abraham's obedient and God provides a sacrifice. And in, in, in a, a remarkable way, there's a picture there of all that Jesus came to do. Then in Psalm 2, it's almost like um, a, a sort of a coronation formula for, for Israel's Messiah, King. In the psalm, it talks about, you are my son, today I've become your father. And then in Isaiah 42, here's my servant whom I love. And so this whole idea of my son who I love, who I'm delighted with, comes across clearly in the Old Testament, foreshadowing what's going to happen when Jesus comes in the New Testament. This is my son who I love. So right here at the very outset of Jesus' work here on earth, it's as if God is identifying him not only as the promised Messiah and King, but also as the one who takes on the role of a servant, the one who suffers, the one who conquers, not by military force, but by sacrificial love. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. You might have noticed in the movie clip there's this uh, reference to Aslan. Aslan's coming. Things are on the move. Aslan, in C.S. Lewis' writings, is actually pointing to Jesus. And uh, as, as we read this little passage about the baptism of Jesus, we see it's as if God is on the move in Jesus. Something's about to happen. And uh, the, the, the context makes it clear that Jesus' uh, ministry on earth is going to be different to what people expected. He's coming in a humble way. He's coming as a servant. He's coming as a sacrifice. It's interesting also when you read uh, about Son of God that there's also probably in their minds this idea of of Caesar because Julius Caesar had been uh, almost deified. He'd become like a god to them and so sons of Julius became like sons of God. And so Octavius or Augustus he came to be known as who was alive when Jesus was, who was the emperor when Jesus was born, he was referred to as a son of God. And so for, um, in the Roman world, there's this incredible contrast with the reigning Caesar and Jesus who's claiming to be son of God. Good news in the Roman Empire at that time was that Caesar is now Lord. He's now, he's now son of God. He's Lord of the whole world and he wants your allegiance. And he's going to get your allegiance by offering you salvation and, and justice for the whole world. But he's going to get it by the sword. He's going to get it by a, a ruthless looking after power. And the voice of God in this little story of the baptism, it comes to Jesus, not to Caesar. And it says, this is my son, my beloved one. I'm pleased with him. Jesus, the Son of God, is the one who's going to bring rescue, bring salvation and justice to the world. And this is God's good news, quite different to the good news that Rome was talking about. 
Well, then we come to this little passage about the temptation of Jesus. And you've probably read that a lot of times and, or you may not have ever read it before. But if you have, um, you, you, you probably see some things in there that sometimes I read it and it just goes right over my head. I think, oh, that's really interesting. When you read it a number of times and, and uh, get into it a bit, there's some things that we won't have time to cover this morning. But it's in the desert and Jesus is being tempted. And he's being tempted, and the tempter comes to him and says, if you're really God's son, tell these stones to become bread. Surely you can do that. And Jesus' response is, a, is almost a direct quote from a passage in Deuteronomy. He says, it takes more than bread to keep you alive. You actually live on every word that comes out of God's mouth. And then it says the devil, the tempter, takes him away to a high place, the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, if you're really God's son, throw yourself down. And then the, the, the tempter starts to quote the Bible. Jesus quoted the Bible back to him in the first one, so the tempter starts to quote the Bible back and he says, because the Bible does say after all that God will give his angels a command about you and they'll carry you in their hands so you won't hurt your foot against the stone. You know, if God is God, he's going to protect you. You can do it. It'll be amazing. And Jesus' response is, the Bible also says, you mustn't put the Lord your God to the test. And then the last one, the devil, the tempter, takes him away to a very high mountain and he shows him all the magnificent kingdoms of the world and he says, I'll give you the whole lot, everything that you can see, all the kingdoms of the world, all the power that you would ever want if you'll only fall down and worship me. And Jesus then addresses him directly and he says, get out of it, Satan. The Bible says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then it says that the devil left him. You see, Jesus is the faithful reliable son of God. You see, in the past, God had referred to the nation of Israel as his son. Israel is my son. And God had hoped for Israel that Israel would be a light to the world. And Israel had failed miserably time and time again. So Israel had only really been able to prove itself to be an unfaithful son to God. And here we have Jesus, early on in his ministry at his temptation, being revealed as the son who is actually reliable, who is faithful, who is consistent, who is able to resist temptation, who has an agenda and is going to keep to it, who isn't going to be waylaid. A really, really powerful um, description of Jesus, a reliable son. He's different. He's different to Israel. He's going to be faithful. Next slide, just to give you a little example. What's going on here? In Matthew, Matthew's often referring back to uh, the book of Exodus and Moses and the experience of Moses. And in that first uh, example, if you'd been a, a, an Israelite, you would have remembered back to when they, were, they, they got out of Egypt, remarkably, but they're wandering around in the desert and God feeds them with manna from heaven. It's miraculous. And so it's like the devil saying, God is amazing. He can provide for you. You can just do another miracle like that. Turn these stones to bread. Why don't you just ask for it? Do it. And Jesus says, it takes more than bread to keep you alive. Quoting directly again from Deuteronomy, which refers back to the idea of the, of the manna. And the next one is this example where he says, throw yourself down. And Jesus' response is, you mustn't put the Lord your God to the test. There was a time in Israel's history where they're still wandering around in the desert and they're short of water this time. And the people are murmuring against Moses as their leader. And Moses is beside himself. He doesn't know what to do. And he goes to God and he said, God, God, how can you actually bring us out into the, the desert here and we've got no water and we're going to die? 
What are you going to do about it? And God actually says to Moses, well, I'm going to take you out. If you strike a rock, water's going to come forth out of that rock. And it's as if the people are putting God to the test. Is God really God? Is he really going to provide for us? We're out in this desert. We've been released from, from bondage in Egypt, but is God really going to provide? So they'd remember that. And Jesus' response is, you mustn't put the Lord your God to the test. And then probably one of the, the uh, saddest and we had a picture of it in the epic thing this morning, was uh, when Moses is up on the mountain receiving the law from God. And he's been up, up there a long time and the people are getting restless down below. And they go to Moses' brother Aaron and they say, Aaron, I don't know where he's gone. He's not coming back, I don't think. We need, we need to make other gods to lead us. And the people, Moses, Aaron goes ahead and gets all their gold and they make a golden calf and uh, they worship the tempter says, comes to Jesus and he says, I'll give you the whole world if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's as if Jesus later on in his life could have come to his disciples and said, hey, early days, when I was just starting out, the tempter came to me and he'll come to you too. And I was just getting prepared for all I was about to do. And the tempter comes to me and he says, turn these stones into bread. It's like he's advising me to accumulate as much as I can just for myself. And then he says, throw yourself off the temple, pinnacle of the temple. It's like he's saying to me, just grab as much free publicity as you can through self-serving miracles. That would be a way to get people on side. And he's saying to me, I'll give you all the power of all the world if you just bow down to me. Wow, that'd be good to have. That'd be a kingdom quick smart, wouldn't it? But Jesus resisted. And he could tell his disciples that. I didn't give in to that temptation. I only do what pleases my Father. See, Jesus is going to rescue his people by laying down his life. Many of his followers would have preferred him to further his cause by using all the human tools that were at his disposal. Things like money and influence and celebrity and fame and power. But he chooses not to do that. So Israel failed the faithfulness test but Jesus didn't. He was and he is God's reliable son. And the way he answers each temptation becomes really like a pattern for a life in which he forsakes the values of the kingdoms of this world in order to build the kingdom of God. And so we ask ourselves this morning, who is this man? Who is this man? He's God's reliable son. Later on in in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus questions his disciples in Caesarea Philippi and he asks them this very question. He says, First of all, he says, who do people say that I am? And they give all sorts of replies. They say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah. But then he asks them, but who do you, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And at the very end of Jesus' life, Mark records that he he utters a loud cry and then he breathes his last. And it says the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the Roman officer who stood facing Jesus saw how he died, 
he exclaimed, truly this man, truly this man was the son of God. You know, this story might be really familiar with you, for you. It may be really new to you. But I want to tell you this morning that if you're prepared to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God and that he lived and died and rose again for you, then the good news is that he invites you, he invites me into an extraordinary life as his followers. He wants to mould you, he wants to mould me into a reliable, faithful son and daughter of the King. Sons and daughters who make him proud. Sons and daughters of whom he can say, this is my child who I love. I'm delighted with him. Sons and daughters who model their life on the life of the reliable Son of God. Sons and daughters who are prepared to say no to the magnetic pull of things like money and influence and power and instead live a life of love, a life of sacrifice, a life lived close to Jesus. So as the band comes up and as we close this morning, I just want to leave you with with four just simple thoughts. The first one is this. Who is this man to you? Who is this man to you? We've talked a lot about Jesus this morning. But I guess the question is, do you know him? Who is this man to you? Has he become real to you in your life? Have you experienced the, 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 the life-changing uh, power of a, of a relationship with him? He invites you into that relationship. We'd love to talk to you about that if it's not clear to you. Maybe you've been following Jesus uh, for many years or just for a little while. But it comes, the question comes to us every day of our lives, can we trust him? Can we trust him? He showed himself to be the reliable son of God. He's faithful, he's trustworthy. And then it strikes me as I read this temptation story that there, and the baptism story that there's voices that come into our lives. There's really strong voices. There's the voice of God and he wants to be able to say to you and me, you're my child, I love you, I'm pleased with you. But there's voices that come into our lives too, like the voice of the tempter that say, hey, the things that are get you ahead in life are get as much as you can. Be as famous as you can. Get as much publicity as you can. Get as much power as you can. Because then you'll have all the security you need. And those voices are very strong in our culture. But Jesus wants you to hear that voice that says, hey, I've got a different path for you, but you're my child. And I love you. And I'm pleased with you. Just finally, as we lead into Easter, we've prepared some readings that uh, I'd love all of you to get a take. They're on the table outside and they're just going to provide an opportunity for you to reflect again on the good news of Jesus as we approach this Easter season. So please take one of those today before you leave. Thanks, Scott.